Today, I bring you part three in our series on knowing God. Knowing God. In part one and two, we spoke about have you not known? And in part three, especially coinciding with our first fruits Sunday, I want to take time to teach on who God is to us and why, what, and how we must give to God. My subtitle for part three is Stewards of His Grace. Let's see it together. One more time. Stewards of His Grace. Our first scripture will be 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10. It says, as each one has received a gift, minister it one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Of God. I'll start by helping us to appreciate stewardship and then we'll touch on the gift and then we'll end with the manifold grace, how to operate in that grace of God. So what's a steward or who's a steward? When the Bible says as good stewards of God's grace, who's a steward? A steward is simply a caretaker entrusted to oversee, manage, supervise something that belongs to someone else, the true owner. So that thing could be a project, property, resources, or a venture. So a steward oversees or manages something in trust for the real owner. If you drove into this neighborhood, you will find very posh houses with the owner himself or herself living in a different jurisdiction, but having entrusted the property to a caretaker. That caretaker makes decisions and executes actions on behalf of the true owner, but does so mindful that there is an owner and they are accountable. That is a steward. In the first part of the series, we established that God is our God, and we should know him and know him well. We said there are two levels to knowing God, and the second level that we mentioned was what we called from Greek, genosco, where you can say, my God, there is a personal relationship. Last week, we talked about the Lord, God as the Lord, from the Hebrew word, adu, and we said that means owner, ruler or master the owner the ruler or the master 
So if God is our God, the master, our ruler, our Lord, and our owner, what does that make us? It makes us stewards or caretakers of the resources that God has entrusted into our hands. The question is, what are those resources? And that brings us to the word gift. As each one has received a gift. Peter is suggesting that every one of us has something that has been freely given to us by God. How many agree that you have something that God has given you freely? So the air that you breathe, the life that you live, the relationships that surround you, your going out and your coming and the safety you enjoy, all those are gifts that God has freely given to you. The talents, the abilities, everything that you have. In fact, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 16 and verse 17, the Bible clarifies the issue of the gifts you have and their ownership. It starts by saying, do not be deceived. That means it's possible to think that the gift you have, you got it by yourself. Do not be deceived. My beloved brethren, every good gift, number one, and every perfect gift, number two, is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So my dear friends, that business you have, that life you have, that property you have, that breakthrough you had, everything that you enjoy and pride yourself on as a great gift of yours, it came from God. From above. That is very important to understand because it then defines how you relate to God. If we know that everything we have came from God, then failing to use it to honor God and bless humanity is to fail to be a good steward. Because every steward does the will of the true owner. In our God here, we must commit to using our lives, our talents, our abilities, our resources to fulfill God's purpose as people he has set apart to himself. That, my friends, is what makes us good stewards of God's resources. So let's go on to the grace of stewardship and how we can fulfill that mandate, that expectation that God has of us. I'd like us to read the amplified version of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 from verse 1 to verse 5 and it's very revealing as we look at the churches in Macedonia and how they exercise the grace of God that Peter is telling us that we must be good stewards of. It says, now, brothers and sisters, we want to tell you about the grace of God which has been evident in the churches of Macedonia. 
awakening in them a longing to contribute. For during an ordeal of severe distress, their abundant joy and their deep poverty together overflowed in wealth, in the wealth of their lavish generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us insistently for the privilege of participating in the service for the support of the saints in Jerusalem. Not only did they give materially as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us as his representatives by the will of God, disregarding their personal interests and giving as much as they possibly could. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. So Paul is talking about, to the Corinthians, about an example that he believed they should emulate. So let's look at stewardship lessons from Macedonia for the benefit of all of us in 2024 looking to be good stewards of the grace of God. And the first lesson we learn is the grace of giving. Let's say it together. One more time. The grace of giving. The Bible says of the church in Macedonia that they had the grace of giving, and the Bible used the word evident. The grace of giving was evident visible, demonstrable amongst them. The word grace means supernatural ability or enablement. When we say the grace to minister in music is upon somebody, we are saying that that person has a supernatural ability or enablement to operate in the music ministry. Paul calls it favor from God and a spiritual blessing in another version of the scripture. So there are people listening to me in the service today who have a grace for giving, a supernatural ability to give. In the book of Proverbs, 11 verse 24 the Bible says there is one who scatters that is their nature that is the supernatural grace upon their lives they give here, they give here, they give here they give for this one too, they scatter but the Bible says something else about that person who scatters yet increases more the second person is one who withholds more than is right and their end is that it leads to poverty. This does not conform to the law of economics as you know it. It doesn't conform to the laws of arithmetic 
as you know it. Because the thinking should be that the one who scatters should always have a little, and the one who withholds should always have abundance. But in the economy of God, the one who gives always has abundance because givers increase more. Let's all say, givers increase more. One more time, givers increase more. In our God here, we must not just know God in our prayer or in our Bible study alone. We must also know God in our giving because givers increase more. The second lesson from Macedonia is that giving is independent of your circumstances. Sometimes you say, if God blesses me and I get, I will give. And it's true. But it's not scriptural. The fact that something is true and you mean it doesn't make it scriptural. The grace of giving is not dependent on your pocket. It's not dependent on your bank account. It's not dependent on what you have or do not have. It's not dependent on your mood. You say, today I feel good, so I'll give to God. The day I don't feel good, I won't give him. It's not dependent on your circumstances. Charlie, this week, dear, things have gone well around me, so I'll give. That means that if this week things did not go my way, I will not give. The Macedonian church, Bible says, was going through an ordeal of distress. That means they had problems. And as if that were not enough, the Bible mentions deep poverty. I mean, how do you combine distress and deep poverty? One of them is bad enough. Deep poverty, poverty is bad. Deep poverty is serious. But when you have a roof of distress over deep poverty, it's not a nice situation. The last thing you'll be thinking about is giving. But Bible puts the word together in brackets and says that this combination of distress and deep poverty, instead of leading to complaints and bitterness and anger against God, rather it led to overflowing joy and lavish generosity. How does a person in trouble, in distress and broke, give to God? The reason is simple. If the grace of giving is upon your life, if you have little, you will give. If you have a lot to, you will give. If the grace of giving is not on your life, if they give you a whole building still, there will be a reason not to give. So the reason you are not giving is not because you don't have. The reason you are not giving is because you don't have the grace of giving. That is why Christ recommended the widow the story of the widow's might in Luke 21. The Bible says she was in deep poverty. It didn't mention it like it did for the Macedonians, but we can tell. And I'm sure her kind of poverty was also distressing, but she gave to God. And Christ celebrated her. Anyone who discourages the poor from giving is leaving them in a state of perpetual poverty, which is unscriptural. 
anyone who suggests that the poor must not give is determined to keep that poor person perpetually in a state of poverty, and that is not scriptural. The poor must give their way out of poverty. The poor must sow their way out of poverty. If you are poor and you consume your seed, you remain poor. Giving is independent of your circumstances. The third thing I learned from Macedonia is that givers go beyond their ability. Givers go beyond their ability. Paul mentioned that the Macedonian church gave according to their ability. Then he added, yes. And then even beyond their ability. So when we stand to raise an offering and we say, give us the Lord has blessed you. We are saying, give according to your ability. The person who God has blessed, who can sign a check of a thousand CDs or, or put a thousand in the offering, who gives ten CDs, has not given according to their ability. So you cannot say that even somebody has given five, I have given ten. That is not how it works. God has blessed you. God has graced you. So you give according to your ability. But the interesting part I love is that the Bible says that and even more beyond their ability, you look at the person and what they have given and you, even you are impressed. Because givers do not just give according to their ability, they give beyond their ability. Their giving is not defined by their income level or by their economic status. And they don't do it periodically. There are some of us that once in a while will do something spectacular, then we'll go back to normal settings. The Bible says that Paul said, I can testify. If I say I can testify that Oreku is a good journalist, I'm saying that read this article any day and it will be good. That's what it means to testify. I can guarantee you that once it is written by this person, it will be good. That's what Paul said. I can testify about them that they give beyond their ability. Rarely do you, when, when you give that kind of assurance and the person goes and he doesn't go that, their way, they come back and they say, ah, didn't you say you can testify that the person is good? I went there and it was not good. Whether it's a restaurant, uh, whatever it is, that can be a very distressing situation. But when the Bible says, I can testify, Paul is saying it is something that they do consistently. So giving beyond your ability is something that you do consistently. It is important that I teach this because in this God here, God will take many of us to a place we have not been financially. But God can take you to a new level, but you are stuck in the mentality of the old level, your old habits will bring you back. I won't talk about the person at Heathrow Airport whose old habits brought him back to Kikotoka. I won't talk about that one. But your old habits can follow you to a new place and bring you back to the old place. One of the habits we must break is the coin mentality. The coin mentality is a socialization that most of us had 
when we were children. It was not done with a bad intent, but it was done with dishonorable outcomes. So even the way offerings were given to us as children suggested that you find something small and you tip God with it or throw it to God. So we grow up thinking that as for God, give him the coins. Give him something and he, he should be happy with it. So even when God has blessed us so much, in our minds, we are boxed down with that kind of thinking. We'll be very comfortable spending in a restaurant, on a football match, anything else. But when it comes to God, no, it must be the smallest. Even if by mistake we get to the gate of church and the notes are big, we'll branch and buy water. And then level it to the place where God belongs in our economy. May the Lord forgive us all collectively and individually for the coin mentality. Let me challenge our theology and say that for some of us, we will place much more respect on a gift we are sending to our traditional ruler or the godfather or godmother that connected you professionally than to what you are bringing to God who gave you the godfather. They say, this person took my CV and I got a job with a multinational. When you are going to give them a gift, one week you are thinking, is this enough? You even consult. Do you think this, he or she would like this? How do I package it? How do I work? A human being, you take your time and prepare it. Then the Lord, the master, the owner, the creator of the universe, you put your hand in your pocket and then you sample the notes. Then you touch it hard. The softest one, you say, this must be it. Then you throw it in. We all must come to that place where the time of giving to God is a time of renewal of covenant. Think about your wedding day. Think about the groom putting the ring on the hand of the bride. It's a moment of concentration. Look into her eyes, eyeball to eyeball, and say, with all my heart, I did. What, what, what did they often say? How can you be standing at that moment and thinking about her, the, the weather forecast? Did they, how? Ask somebody how. That is a moment, a solemn moment of consecration. It's a big thing for you. So I'm suggesting that when you are giving to God, be conscious that you are giving to the one who gave you life. The one who holds the key to your future. The one who can make or make you. That will change the dynamic. It doesn't matter how much it is, but the reverence must be there. The consciousness must be there. The awareness must be there. The person is special. You can't just give to them anyhow. And you can't just throw it in and be absent-minded. That is the best moment to say, I do. I do, Lord. I love you. That's the best moment to say, Lord, remember me. Can I suggest that offering times, we should be a bit more conscious a bit more away because it's a window. A window opens and closes and when a window opens, much more can happen than when the window is closed. It happens in the Bible. The Bible says when the king arose and he was very happy, he says, what do you want from me? Even to half of my kingdom, I'll give you. That's an open window. A time to give to God is an open window. 
And in this God here, may we be conscious of such moments. I love you, Lord. God and you are saying let what I do be a sweet sound in your ears you are something you are giving you are enjoying the giving you are saying Lord I hope you are also enjoying it let the sacrifice be a sweet sound in your ears number four givers give voluntarily and insistently Both words are powerful. The Macedonians were not just committed givers. They did it willingly and voluntarily. Chief, the best offerings you give are the ones that nobody asked you. Nobody raised funds. Nobody demanded anything. You yourself woke up and you said, I love the Lord. He heard my cry and therefore I carried the sacrifice and I'm bringing it to him. It is personal. You own it. You love it. And you do it. You say, God has blessed me. God has cared for me. God has looked after my family. God delivered me. I prayed. I, I love the Lord. He heard my cry. I prayed and God heard me. So I'm carrying my thing and I'm coming. Sometimes it's just because you feel blessed. And you just, it just strikes you that, you know what? Sometimes I can complain about several things, but really, God has done so much. In 2 Samuel 7, one day David woke up and sat on his balcony and said, Hey, David, look at my house. Let's read it. 2 Samuel 7, verse 1. Bible says he woke up one day, looked at his accommodation, looked at his lifestyle, looked at his blessings, and was enjoying it and then suddenly he felt a tinge of guilt it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around that he called Nathan the prophet his personal pastor he said Sofu, see now I dwell in a house of cedar but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains no one asked David anything. No one required anything of him. Bible says he himself was looking at his blessings and saying, hey, the God who blessed me with all this is his house in a good ship. Can I flaunt in quotes my blessings when the God who gave all this to me 
is dwelling in tents. Haggai 1 verse 4 makes us to understand why as we enjoy our blessings, we must also think about God's house. Haggai says, is it time for you to dwell, yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? So the Macedonian spirit is on the lookout. Is there something I don't like about how the house of God is set up that I can contribute to with my talent, with my resources, with my connections, with the favor that God has given me, with the work that I do, is there something I could just open a door for? Interestingly, this, this morning, the bandsmen are looking very nice. Bandsmen, please stand up. Let's see your uniforms. Please clap for them. They're looking very nice in their brand new white uniforms. The reason I mentioned this is because somebody came and said, I'm celebrating my birthday. I, I wish I could sew uniforms for the whole choir. But I look at my ability, and even if I stretch, I can do only a part of the choir. So I'm thinking of doing the band. I say, may the Lord enable you. So this one person went to a designer, measured the bandsmen, and sold uniform for all of them. Today, as they play the song, and the song glorifies Christ, even if the guy hasn't prayed, I'm telling you, God will answer his prayer. I'm telling you. Anytime the band wears this uniform and they play, if somebody's life is blessed and the person says amen and God, God will answer their prayer. It's a fact. Anytime it is used to lift up the name of Christ, his memory is registering in heaven. In the same way, it may not be a uniform, but just think of God's house. Because the truth is that God's house is built by God's people. You and I, we built God's house. And God's house everywhere is built by God's people there. Nobody leaves his home to go and build other people's home when your home is lying down. You build your home. So what we have at New Wine is the collective effort of all of us. Let's clap for ourselves. And as we clap for ourselves and celebrate the great work we are doing, may God enable us in the God here to beautify his house even more. To invest in his house even more. To think about what can I contribute to making God's house beautiful. That is what the Macedonians demonstrated so beautifully. Talking about voluntary, it also means that we cannot give to God and turn around and complain. That is why giving must come from yourself, from your heart. Even if somebody inspires you, make that decision yourself. Then you enjoy it. If we give to God and we turn around and say, she, and complain about it, it defeats the purpose. It must be something that we love, that we do, and feel happy that we're able to do it to honor the Lord. Number five, they give themselves to God. This is the foundation of all giving. If you haven't mastered this one, you will struggle with the rest. 
The reason why giving is easy is because we give first ourselves to the Lord. We give our lives to Him. We give our love to Him. When you love somebody and you are spending on a gift for them, you don't feel it. You are even happy. Do you love the Lord? When we sing, I love you, Lord, do you love the Lord? And I lift my voice. You must love God to be able to give to Him. When you love somebody, you think about them every time. That is when you can wake up one morning and nobody has asked you, but you decide to do something for God. That's the most beautiful kind of giving. You wake up yourself and you smile and say, today, I will do it. Because of love. And so when you come to church and you carry that envelope based on what you've made in terms of your personal commitment and you are bringing that envelope, guess what? You think it is a check. You think it's a digital offering. You think it is cash in the envelope. I want to suggest that what you are carrying is your life. Take my life and Giving is an envelope containing your life. And guess what? You are not giving to the church. You are not giving to new wine. You are not giving to the pastor. Because if you gave to me, the day that I don't preach a message you like, you say, today I will boycott you. But it's not to me. Because I myself, I am making sure that I am giving. So I am giving you are given and we are given to God. Let them flow. Until you come to that place where not because of anything you want from him, not because anyone asked you, you yourself can wake up and take a worthy sacrifice and bring it unrequested to honor the Lord, you've not found that secret place. Number six, they elevate God's work above their personal interest. The Macedonians' Bible says they set aside. They give themselves first to God and then to us as representatives of God by the will of God, entirely disregarding their personal interests. The truth, my friends, is that any time you determine to do something for God, especially if you take the liberty to discuss with someone, the person will say, hey, the usual question, is the church for your father? 
Listen, if somebody doesn't know your relationship with something, they can never understand what you do. So anytime you step out to do something for God, there is a personal interest that will be a competitor. The first fruits you are honoring God with could also have bought cement. For some of you, you can actually buy a plane ticket to what you are giving to God. But you are giving it because you want to give it. But if you think about your personal interest, you can't give. But the most beautiful one is when you are committed and you are you are determined, but bystanders are also very determined to show you alternative uses. Bible says that the woman with the alabaster box, she broke into the house holding the, bo- the bottle, smashed the bottle, and began to spread the perfume on Jesus. Within a few seconds, somebody had done a quick calculation of the cost of the bottle, the ointment, and the alternative uses. 300 denarii. Sharp. They've calculated some people can calculate the alternative uses better than you, the giver. This time that you are using to usher, imagine that you were doing some well and two, well and two, some one, two, one, two here and there. They will tell you what you could have end. What's the what Sharp. They will tell you what you can do with it. My friends, if you walk with God in this God here, what you sacrifice to God must never be downplayed because there are other things could have done with it. It starts by knowing who you are doing it for, who you are giving it to, and who he is to you. God must be something to you first in order for you to give well. The last one. They allow themselves to be directed by the will of God. So I've talked about the one where you decide yourself what you want to do. But the Bible says that the Macedonian church put themselves at the disposal of Paul and the elders to be directed by the will of God. It means that it is not wrong to allow yourself to be directed to need areas that maybe you may not have considered. It means that it's not out of place if you did not consider a particular need and it was brought to your attention and you feel convicted to go ahead and do it. It's scriptural. That's what the Macedonians did. And Bible says they allowed themselves to be directed by the will of God. Sometimes you think you know exactly what the church needs or exactly where the needs are or exactly what you want to do for God, but God can lay on your heart, speak through someone in a service, in a conference, in a meeting, point to a need you may not have considered. But it's okay to rise up to the occasion and respond. And as a pastor, I would like to say a big thank you to the church for several things that the church has done in terms of responding to the needs, but particularly on my mind this morning, is paving the church for crossover. I stood here and said, let's do it. It was a need. And you all responded. And we did it. And Christ was honored. And over 130 people gave their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. For everyone who gave their lives to Christ, may God bless you. 
for everyone who lifted up their hands to Jesus and said, Jesus, come into my heart. On that day, may God bless you for your sacrifice. You enabled the process. You facilitated the process by your giving. That was Macedonia. In this God year, may you allow yourself to be led by the Lord. May you respond to the will of God and may God find you a worthy channel. Let me end by saying that sometimes God wants to do something in the life of a people. But by the principles that God works with, he can't drop cash from heaven into the offering basket. So the Bible says the eyes of the Lord look to and fro looking for a channel. Is there somebody that when I, if I bless them, they will advance the course of God's work? And very often, in the way that God does things, if he is coming to do a 20,000 ton blessing, he will test you with 2,000 or 1,000 or 10 tons. Your faithfulness with being a channel for 10 tons qualifies you for 100 tons or a million tons, just by way of illustration. So for some of us who are struggling with the first breakthrough that God gave us, being faithful, and you tell yourself, one day if the Lord blesses me with big, I shall do something for the work of the Lord. Can I suggest that please pass the one ton test and then God will give you 10 tons and you pass that one, he'll give you 100 tons and then you pass and one day, who knows, a whole ship. In this God year, may somebody make themselves available for God to use. And the good news about how God works is that as you make your vehicle, your boat available for the Lord to preach, as for the fish, you too will get some. And you will get more than enough to lead to a net-breaking harvest. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord favor the course of your life. And may this God year be a year of supernatural, extraordinary, unprecedented financial breakthrough for you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Somebody celebrate the Lord this morning.